try to keep try to keep it so we've been going through a series that Chris has affectionately called the chore list and again a reminder if you're just joining us or haven't caught um, some of those messages uh, Chris has been reminding us that chores are not necessarily a bad thing. Now, when I was younger, um, I had a different viewpoint on that. But what Chris has been um, having us reflect on the past several weeks is this idea that when you have chores, when you have tasks or roles as a part of the body of Christ, it means you belong. You know, when you... Uh, When you go over to someone's house for a visit, hopefully they don't ask you to vacuum the carpet, you know. Now, if they do, I I don't know, hopefully they're they're close enough to to ask you to do that. But no, you ask your kids or your, your, you know, your spouse or whoever to vacuum the carpet because you belong, right? You belong in that house and you have a you have a responsibility in maintaining the household and helping everyone you know, live effectively and efficiently. And so that's kind of what we've been talking about. We've talked about mentorship and that role as a body. We've talked about um, roles like shepherding and teaching and speaking good news. We've talked about the, the purpose of meeting together and the importance of that, the importance of hosting one another. And so this morning we're going to be diving into the idea of being fellow workers on a mission together. Um, that we're instructed to shape and encourage one another into the image of Christ as we share ministry and life together. And so to do that, I want us to to think about two metaphors here, um, neither of which I'm an expert in, but I think um, if, if Scripture uses metaphors like this, I think we can understand. And these two metaphors are the anvil, and the skyscraper, if you will. So, both of them involve metal, right? But to, in very different ways. So you've got the blacksmith's hammer and the anvil and the piece of iron or metal that that, that person's honing. And then you have this steel-beamed skyscraper being constructed. I don't know if you've ever watched like a video of people doing blacksmithing, it's very impressive to me. Or if you've ever watched like a time lapse of a skyscraper being built, it's it's an amazing feat, I think. Um, And so both manipulate metal, but for different purposes in different ways, right? So if you think about the blacksmith, um, that's, it's very, it's very personal and unique. And the expert craftsman is, is deftly shaping a sword or a spear or or uh, maybe a part for, for a machine, you know. It's, they're working on just that one piece, and they're honing it. They're heating it. They're cooling it. They're shaping it. And then the other, with the skyscraper, it's kind of a more communal thing, right? I mean, one person alone cannot build a skyscraper. At least, I don't think so. Um, it's a very grand effort, and it's a group of, of contractors and work, workers carefully um, fitting huge metal beams and, and other pieces of construction together and in place to build a towering, magnificent structure. And again, it, it 
probably takes years of planning and years to build it. And, I mean, I would imagine if, if you start at the bottom and you're off by even just a little bit, by the time you get to the top, that thing's, it's going to look like I built it, probably. And so, I want us to be kind of having these metaphors in mind this morning as we're, as we're thinking about these ideas of iron sharpening iron and being built together for a purpose. Um, <clears throat> of course, Greg read this morning uh, Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen. You know, to me, this is just a very encouraging passage, and it's very simple. I think that's um, one of the powers of of proverbs or wisdom sayings is that they're simple. They're usually very easy to remember, and they carry uh, such deep truths within them. So we're going to be thinking about this idea of iron sharpening iron. The other one I want us to think to think about, uh, especially as we're thinking about um, the skyscraper um, aspect of things, is this verse from Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read this. Um, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So, we've got iron sharpening iron. Again, a very a more personal, individual, unique kind of a thing, requires a skilled touch. And then you've got this idea of this massive skyscraper being built together and these beams being fitted together. Again, something that takes great skill and craftsmanship and two different things, but also they work really well together. I think you'll see. So in Christ, we are shaped and built for a purpose. As individuals, yes, but also as a community. And I think both are so essential that we can't have one well without the other. You know, I can't just look at my own life and think, like, I'm growing, you know, I'm, I'm learning, I'm maturing, and that's good for me. If I don't invest in, in a community, it's kind of all for nothing in some sense, you know. Just if, if I'm growing all by myself and I'm not a part of a community, first of all, I'm probably not growing as well as I could be, but also I'm missing out on some of that purpose that Christ has for me. And if we're growing together as a community, surely, hopefully, we're growing as individuals as well. This idea of, of a personal faith that's very just individualistic to me, I think would have been really foreign in the first century, and especially to Paul. Um, because so much of what they did was together. And if you look at the way Paul writes in, in other New Testament authors, a lot of what they're talking about is this communal aspect of their faith, their faith together that makes them strong, that helps them grow 
that helps them truly be the people of God in their community. So I find metaphors uh, like iron sharpening iron and blacksmithing or building a skyscraper, I find these, these metaphors helpful because it allows me to understand these concepts in ways that really bring life to these ideas. So what I want to do is I want to get back to this text that was read because you might have been wondering, you know, first of all, what's this text about? It's kind of just a list of, of names. It sounds like a greeting card almost. And you might be wondering, well, you know, so what does blacksmithing and skyscraper construction have to do with this text that we've read? So turn over to Colossians 4 with me. This passage comes at the end of one of Paul's prison letters. It's referred to uh, as a prison letter because um, he's writing it from, from prison. You know, he's not out on his own free will. He is... Um, Imprisoned, and most I think most people would say when he's in Rome. But again, there's you know there's debate on those kind of things. But the most important thing is that Paul's writing this in in chains, if you will, and he actually refers to that in some of his prison letters that he's in chains. And you know I I feel like this is kind of the part of the letter that we would typically skip through, especially if we were doing like a sermon series through Paul's prison letters or even through Colossians, this is the part where we might just kind of skip through some of this because, well, it, it may not seem that important, you know. Once we're done with Paul's writing on teaching and doctrine and, and those kind of things, we might just say, you know, why is this stuff in here? And I think it's also important to recognize that when Paul's writing this, it was um, writing in the first century was an expensive and time-consuming thing. You know, nowadays, I can just send an email. I mean, this morning, I've probably sent like three emails and a dozen text messages to people, you know, um, all over the place. Uh, well, they couldn't do that, obviously. And so, writing something out was expensive. And so, you kind of start to question, well, why did Paul spill so much ink and waste so much time writing about these people and including these greetings? Well, he uses this word um, about a dozen times in his writings, um, and it's the word sunergos, which just means fellow worker or um, co-laborer, companion, um, someone like that. Your co-worker, you know? That's basically what he's calling them. This idea of working together is really what it means. And Paul seems to spend a lot of time in his letters, if you look carefully, writing about his fellow workers, people that he is doing ministry with, whether it's in the place that he's writing to or where he is or just out and about. He wants to make sure the churches that he's writing to know who these people are. And he's not afraid to spend that money and waste that ink, if you will, on them. Uh, you know, the New Testament is filled with these kind of people. And if someone didn't write down their names, we would never really know who they are. And sometimes we just get a name. We barely know anything about them. But I think it's incredible that we have the names of some of these 
early Christians who did these great works, especially when we typically just focus on the big hitters, right? People like Paul or Peter or Mary or whoever, you know. Um, when there's so many other people that Paul takes the time to mention by name. So I don't know if maybe you're like me and you find these uh, nerdy Bible things a little cooler than maybe other people, but have you ever read through these lists and thought like, I, I wish we knew more. I wish we knew more about Aristarchus or Nympha or, I mean, Barnabas, we get, we get some material there, you know, but who, who were these people? You know, I, I already mentioned that um, writing in the first century was not cheap. You know, some scholars estimate that Paul's longer letters would have cost about $2,000 in today's money, roughly, to compose and, and send. You know, you had to buy the materials. Sometimes you had to pay someone to write it, you know, uh, someone they called an amanuensis. Um, sometimes, though, Paul specifically mentions, you might notice this, I'm writing this greeting in my own hand, which he does here at the end of Colossians. So he's letting them know, I didn't just pay someone to write this. I, I grabbed the pen and I'm writing this myself in my own hand. And then to send it, often, you know, again, to protect the integrity of what was written, you would entrust it to someone and you would send it with that person. And then th they, they would often listen to the writer read it so that they could make sure that they were reading it correctly, and then they would go and read it in the same way to those people. You know, so it was an expensive process. And if you think about, you know, a letter like Romans or Corinthians, um, two thousand dollars. Again, it doesn't. Maybe that might not seem like much to you, but man, again, we could just write it in an email. I could copy and paste it off Bible Gateway and send it to anyone I want for free. You know. So it was, it was a great effort. And so the fact that Paul spends this time to mention people by name and to encourage others to greet these people and to know about them speaks volumes. It really does. So again, though, for our sake, for our day and time, you might be wondering, you know, who cares? Who cares who these people were? I mean, they were important to Paul. Should they be important to me? And I think what's vital here is that we see that people were crucial to Paul's work. People. All of his instructions, all of his teachings, all of his words of encouragement, they would fall hollow if not for the specific people in his life and ministry um, and the lives and ministries of the churches that he's writing to. Um, Paul saw the value of people, especially the people who were laboring with him. And if you know anything about Paul and his ministry journeys, it was a difficult labor. Just read um, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and he, ha he lists a laundry list of all the things that he's gone through. <clears throat> so, you know, we can ask these questions. Who is Tychicus, or however, I don't even know how to say his name right. Who is, uh, what do we know about Onesimus beyond uh, him being the slave of Philemon? Uh, Chris talked about that earlier. Um, 
have you read much on Aristarchus? He's actually mentioned, Aristarchus, you might find this interesting, again, if you're a Bible nerd like me, but Aristarchus is mentioned more times by name than some of the apostles of Jesus, which is interesting. He's um, mentioned, I think, about five times, and he's all over, all over the place with Paul. Um, what do we know about Jesus? Not, not that Jesus, the other one, you know, justice. Do we know about the mighty deeds of Epaphras? Have you experienced the greeting of Damas? Have you been to the church that meets at Nympha's house? You know, these are people that Paul valued and mentioned by name. And of course, we know he probably could have mentioned many more. And so, I think it's important for us to recognize as we're thinking about us as individuals being shaped and growing and being transformed, but also being a part of a community, a, a skyscraper, if you will, or as, as he puts it in Ephesians, a holy temple being built together. We know that Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the foundation. And there are many great men and women who may be these great giant iron support beams in our lives. But the church is built brick by brick by millions of unnamed and unknown men and women who have faithfully served alongside one another for centuries, building the church in the image of Christ, one person at a time. And we are all part of this building as well. It's a very... Um, uh, I mean, it's, to me, it's a very solemn kind of an idea that we are part of this, this building. And so people like Aristarchus and Epaphras and Nympha were important to Paul's ministry and the life of the church in, in their towns and the kingdom of God. And Paul relied on people like Aristarchus, which he calls his fellow prisoner in chains, by the way. I don't know if you caught that there in Colossians. Most likely, Aristarchus is in the cell next to him while Paul's writing this. He's been on this journey with Paul. He was arrested too. And he's his fellow, he calls him his fellow prisoner in chains. <clears throat> we have these people in our lives too though. Um, they're probably not named Aristarchus or Nympha. But we have people who we might consider fellow workers for the sake of Christ. People um, we shape like iron sharpening iron and people who shape us as well as we're, as we're knit together, beam by beam, building God's temple. And uh, last night, actually, as I was looking over my notes, I had more that I wanted to say diving into this idea of being fellow workers and diving deeper into what we know about Aristarchus and people like that. But I kind of got this idea that that's not, maybe they're not, not the right way to go this morning. So I started thinking about if I were to write a letter to a church, whether it's this church or another church, to encourage them or provide some instruction, whatever it might be, like Paul does, it would be well worth it to spend some ink sharing the names of many people who have come alongside me and my work and our work to encourage and lift 
me up and, and many others or to reproach, to refine my life and ministry. And so I wanted to take some time to do that this morning. <clears throat> you know, I think about these people that Paul would have written down, people that I would write down, like my wife Rebecca, who's been a, a constant support and sounding board in ministry. I think about people like Norma, who's carried this church in many ways for a long time, pouring out love to the children of this congregation and lending an ear to anyone who comes through the doors. I think about people like Sean and Nancy, who have been mentors and champions for myself and many others in this congregation. I think about Daniel Oshner and Jean Smutzler, my breakfast crew buddies from years ago, always willing to go the extra mile for people in need. I think about Matt and April Hammer. They were, you know, the first people to welcome my wife and I into their home when we got here, and we've watched their children grow, and many other children in this congregation, they've been an encouragement to us. I think about my friend Corey, who's made it a point to regularly show up in the youth group and be just another positive example to uh, the teens in our, in our congregation. And Jody Stamos, who's been an adult that I can count on uh, for many years, and she's uh, the kind of person who's a mother to more than just her own. I think about uh, Randy Mead and John Germain and Bob Lubin and Jim Marnick, who do the quiet, thankless jobs here that keep this place running. I think about uh, Shirley, who spends hours a week making sure families who are struggling don't have to worry about clothing their children. I think about Brian and Jessica Rooney, both of whom have their own ministries, whether it's behind a booth or around a table. Michael and Julia, who help us in our, bring us into the throne room of God as we worship. Uh, I think about Kathy Sieber, Nancy Stutzman, Marge Mitz, and uh, several other women who furiously sew to clothe and comfort people around the world. I think about uh, Becky Brenner, who's always been a comfort and counselor to me, and she has the best chili in this congregation, if you ask me. That's all I'm going to say. I think about Evelyn Peterson, Joyce Miller, Laura Cronwitter, and many others who have faithfully and regularly taught our children. I think about Craig Brown, Craig Brown and Greg Strawn, and others who have done full-time ministry, they have a very special way of caring for me and the rest of the staff here. And they have labored in the same way and know what it's like. I think about our, our elders and their wives, Don and Nancy, Greg and Pam, Sean and Nancy, Brian and Michelle, John and Angelia. Each of them are truly pillars of, in this congregation. They've blessed all our lives in more ways than I think any of us will ever know. And they've sacrificed much to help shepherd God's people in Newburgh and beyond. Of course, I can't forget uh, my fellow co-workers, Chris and Heather, both of whom uh, have been a huge blessing to this congregation and to my life as well. 
my own family, um, often I rope them into whatever I'm doing to help, and they're, they're glad to do it. I think about some of those who have passed, who are no longer with us in the flesh, but in the spirit. Rose Killen, who never missed a chance to encourage me. Charles McCord, who cared deeply about the truth, and I think knew more about anything than I will ever know. Jerry Oshner, whose consistent presence was an encouragement to all. There are those who have been sent out from Newburgh or have moved away for various reasons in the course of their lives. I remember the Dvorak family, the Gotro family, Larry and Lynn Albright, many of our teens who have graduated and moved on to wonderful things. And some of them, like Sam, come back. Thank you, Sam. Love that. Paul often mentioned some companions from other congregations, and I think we could do the same. Uh, I have a good friend, Jared King, uh, who we support up um, at Missio in Seattle, and his ministry is a blessing to me. I think about Sam Mears, my fellow youth minister and partner in crime over at Southwest. I think about Greg Woods at Metro, my friend Nikki Van Doren, who's been a longtime co-minister to teenagers. Think about Zach and Elena Haley, also at Southwest. Um, and our rekindled friendship has uh, just grown into a beautiful ministry partnership. I think about our friends out at Camp Yamhill, whether they live and work out there full-time or, um, you know, they, they come and go, but people who serve out at Camp Yamhill and how they are a light in the wilderness <clears throat> and of course, you could, I mean, we could be up here all day. There's so many more names, as with Paul, I'm sure. There are more, uh, more names we could, I could list. And I think if you were to do the same, you would have names that you would remember and add to the list. And they're more than just names, right? More than just my own personal friends, these are people who have helped to build the kingdom in Newburgh and have been a part of encouraging me and so many more. And this is really barely enough to scratch the surface. But I hope you can see how these interwoven relationships help to shape us, to forge us, to build us together in Christ. We stand together in a long list of names of fellow workers for the kingdom of God. So I wanted just to take this special time to say thank you for laboring with me and with all of us together, uh, because if I had been laboring on my own, I would not have lasted this long. I really believe that, you know, without the support of so many. And I think you could say the same. So we need to be iron sharpening iron. But we also need to be a part of a community that's built together. Both of those things are essential. I'm old enough now that I've seen many of my peers walk away from the Lord uh, for one reason or another. Maybe something catastrophic happened that rocked their faith. Um, maybe they just slowly slipped away one small step after another. Um, and you know, sometimes I'm a bit ashamed to say that Maybe I, I watched a little too much. I watched my peers 
walk away and, and did very little or not enough to reach out to offer love and support. Sometimes I just felt, you know, I didn't know what to say. Um, most of the time, it was when people started to feel alone or isolated, it seems, that their faith wavered. Um, and, and I also just want to say um, in, that in, in many of my peers that have wandered, I, I deeply believe that, that Jesus is still with them and that their faith remains even in some small way and that there's hope for those who have wandered. Their stories are not over. Um, but this is why it's so important why it's so important that we be like iron that sharpens one another. And it's not always a delicate and comfortable process, is it? Just think about the blacksmith. That metal gets heat, heated, heated, heated up very, very hot. And it takes a strong hand to forge and to shape. Tremendous heat and effort and precision. It's hard work, <clears throat> but it helps to shape us and to forge us. And so this morning what I want us to think about is this challenge to be iron that sharpens iron for one another. And it's a two-way road, whether you're helping to sharpen someone else or you're being sharpened by someone else. Again, this is kind of like what Chris was talking about last week, right? <clears throat> so I, I want us to think about, I just skipped a bunch of this because I was just talking. Um, I want us to think again about these two metaphors as we close. The, uh, the idea of iron sharpening iron and being built together. I'll keep this verse again up on the screen. But I believe, as you know, this passage says, there should be no strangers in the house of God. If you're feeling that way, first of all, I want to say, uh, you know, I'm sorry. And I, I, I hope that we can be more friendly and welcoming. But again, it, you know, it is a two-way road. Um, there should be no strangers in the house of God. Everyone has a purpose and belonging. We are being built together as God's holy temple. And so I want you to think about this morning as we continue our worship. Who are your fellow workers? Take some time this week to thank them for what they've done in your life and the encouragement that they've been. Who are you sharpening? And who is sharpening you? You need those relationships in your life to grow in Christ. And are you part of this process of being built together? This process that is made possible by the sacrifice of Christ. Um, he modeled it for us. And so as we go out this week, let's think about who we are sharpening and who is sharpening us. Uh, I will be in the back if anyone would like prayers or like to talk or like to know more about being built together as part of God's family. Let's continue as we stand and sing.